Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, where an expert and a noob boldly go through Star Trek episode by episode. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Kev Kozer. Say hi, Kev. Hi. How are you doing this episode? Well, I tried to make a robot of my wife, and now she's imprisoned me, so you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd just been imprisoned by this podcast, but apparently there are other reasons for you hanging around too. Excellent. Lovely. Well, we are back. We've been away for a little bit. Sorry about the festive break, but we are returning. And to join us on our episode, we have Lenny. Say hello, Lenny. Hi, thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. It is lovely to have you back. Now, um, the last episode you were on was Return of the Archons, and this episode is I'm Mud. It's possible just possible we might be able to detect some similar themes between these two episodes <laughs> so I, I can only apologize that's really all i can say now uh we've had you on before so we uh we don't need to catch up on your history with trek and so i think we can probably just dive straight into it um kev would you care to give us a usual summary please yes so i mud a robot infiltrator on the ship um diverts the enterprise's course to a planet that is populated by robots who are built in another galaxy and they have taken um harry mud from mud's woman as their leader um it's a paradise they have trapped him in where he gets everything he wants and no freedom and he has lured the enterprise here to give the robots more people to study and for him to sort of leave uh, the robots in a fashion double cross him and just on the enterprise for themselves so Kirk and the gang uh, do a very elaborate ploy to defeat the robots, which involves basically doing surrealist theater at them until they malfunction. And of course that works. And then they get to be on their merry way, but not before Mud is, as alluded to earlier, trapped by the robot he made of his ex-wife. Multiple copies of it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, yes, we're back. And we are back with a comedy episode starring a returning character, which isn't all that common in the original Star Trek series. But let's see what we think of it. So, um, Kev, why don't you kick us off? How did you find this one? It's, it's hard. It's just like another cat's paw situation where it's like, there's a lot that it doesn't really function in terms of conventional ways. But there's something compelling about it, really. I mean... Especially, like, what you would call it, the third or fourth act. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess it would be the fourth act, where they are just, like, doing all this weird stuff to make the robots malfunction. Like, that is, like, when I am locked in and really having a fun time. Um, like, to, to bring it up a third time in so many minutes, the, the ex-wife robot stuff on the other hand is, like, uh, that's really groaning and eye rolling, like '60s version of comedy. So the comedy goes like all over the map in this episode, but I think what works, I was like really having a good time with. Lovely, thanks very much, uh, Lenny. How did you? Find yeah, this one's a really fun one. Uh, while I was watching it, my roommate came in for a minute and she was like, "Is this about a planet that's just robots and then the most divorced guy in the world?" And I was like, "Yes, that's exactly what it is." Uh, I really like like sex robots in fiction and uh this one is really insane he has 
500 identical robots, which I was I like, that's, I love how excessive it is. I was like, like, I guess I would like 500 robots that look like Jake Gyllenhaal, but I'd at least like mess up like the hair and stuff to make it like a little <laughs> variety. Yeah, I I love the, uh, just the very simple effect of having so many robots. Uh, you can see on like Memory Alpha and other places where they talk about how they cast twins as two robots and then use a lot of like mirroring effects and whatnot to get up to six on frame at one time but just having that like and all the numbers and stuff just the little tricks that like make you really believe there are 500 female robots on this planet yeah i think the production is is relatively successful i'm really really glad that you both enjoyed this episode i think it's absolute garbage um, <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those times where i regret the fact that we don't swear in this podcast but, but that's fine um it's it's definitely a successful production and i think the the way that they um I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast before, but the way they use very clever stagecraft in order to get things like, you know, up to six different women. It's not just like cheesy CSO shots. It's not like, um, you know, of <laughs> women of very clearly different sizes in, in dodgy wigs. It's like, like they do a good job of being able to convince us that that's the case. And I think that's probably one of the most successful sort of aspects of it. It, it all kind of hangs together well and and it, it suspends your disbelief long enough that you don't watch it thinking well how did they do that in in 1967 how, how did they how did they get away with that and the answer is it's good enough that, that, that you don't really pick up on it until afterwards when you think oh right okay so now I see how they did it but um yeah that that aspect at the very least i think is incredibly successful yeah it's it's such a well like design episode. Like I love the sets too. They're like weird technicolor dayglow cave stuff going on. Um there's just a lot of like money of whatever money was there around the time and just care put into like technically pulling it off. And I mean I for all of your subjective gripes with the comedy JG, which I totally understand, <laughs> um I it is just like a really well shot well made episode of television for sure yeah i mean the, we'll, we'll get on to the um uh, you can only imagine comedy comments have never been so inverted but uh comedy uh in, in a little while but but from a purely yeah technical uh, point of view i think it's a great success and the first 10 minutes of this episode are incredibly compelling Mm -hmm. um it, like when the enterprise is taken over we don't really understand what's happening we've got this this one uh big muscle guy who's who's taken over the entire ship like he towers over william shatner that guy he's he's mm -hmm. just this amazing kind of presence uh, maybe slightly less intimidating when he's moved into the sort of pajama suit thing that he wears <laughs> down in the on the planet but when he's in when he's in uniform he's this massive kind of broad chest like he looks like he could take over the enterprise single-handedly the cold open is really incredible it like starts with um i think bones uh being suspicious of this guy and so in my mind i was like oh okay it's gonna be like the tension's gonna ramp up the guy's gonna get like slowly more suspicious and then it just like cuts to him karate chopping people and like the end of the cold open is he's taken over the ship which i expected to be like you know the end of act three that is something i was reading was the original draft it was basically like halfway through the show they finally meet mud and get on the robot planet yeah, and <laughs> they hired someone named David Gerald, who um, 
is going to be the writer of Troubles with Tribbles when we get to that one. And th- like he apparently did the comedy touch-up um, with uh, different results for different people on this podcast. But <laughs> at the very least, uh, the big thing Gene Roddenberry wanted him to do was also uh, tighten up that like first part of getting them to the planet, which... Like I said, I think it's very successful. Like it moves very briskly in a good way. I I think if that yeah. was like a full nearly half the episode, it would have worn out its welcome, and it would have been very confusing to have that sort of bifurcated story. But just having it as a very tense way to get them to the situation was great. From a TV standpoint, it's great. You're also like, it's way too easy to take over the Enterprise, right? Like everyone is just like, like Kirk is like well, this is happening now. And you're like, yo, you guys need to have, uh, you need to have a system in place for this happening. Yeah. He's a little slow to call security to the next location. Like already he's karate chopped everyone in the engineering. He's like security, maybe get over to engineering. Finally. He's so quickly like, well, I guess we're going on this trip. And it's like, that should not happen. He should, he could make you be, he could be programming you to do nine 11. You need to like, stop it. <laughs> Well, especially later on when Kirk says, well, you know, this whole thing has had an amusing aspect about it, but it's not so funny <laughs> now. Your entire ship has been stolen and your crew yeah. have been marooned on the planet of the sexy robot women. Like, this is the, the, the time for humour has passed at this point. But <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's all fine. It's just, just, just larks and japes until that moment. And it just feels like so much Kirk's attitude, maybe like unrealistic and maybe a little out of character as it might be here, but just like... Well, whatever. I'm I he just I just want to see how things play out and down for a good time instead of like actually trying to get myself stressed out about anything, which is I mean, funny in like a more abstract sense, but yeah, it doesn't make sense but for a good captain. How do we think um how do we think the performances managed to bring this script across because especially when you have a comedy script like this, it it it's the moment where you can really start to see um Oh, wow. I was going to say, you can really start to, to, to tell the difference between the wheat and the chaff, let's say, the, who, people mm-hmm. who can really manage to land the uh, the comedy and people who manage to uh, just not get it. Um, I, I'm always, this episode reminds me of the quote, um, I think it's from, um, I, I can't remember, if, it's it's about airplane. Uh, but I can't remember whether it's Zucker Abrams or Zucker that said it, but it's like the whole reason it's funny is it's because it's very, very good actors playing very, very situ- silly situations like dead straight. And this uh, this kind of episode, I don't know, for some reason it brought that quote to mind because although nobody's playing it dead straight, especially not when we get to death by absurdist theater, um, but it, it's one of, those, one of those things, it kind of really differentiates a good actor from a merely okay actor is how they can kind of get their teeth into comedy, whether they can find the the right angle. So how, how do you guys think that kind of side of it went? Yeah, in terms of comedic performances, I definitely think Leonard Nimoy is a standout. It's very, like, in line with how he's been um, with, like, previous in the show. We've seen him do this a lot. The very straight-faced, very, uh, like, matter-of-fact approach to things. And as you're saying, JG, sort of like in that airplane mode, it does work here as well as it always does. So yeah, I like it's an obvious pick for who's giving a great performance, but I do love him. For me, the standout was the twins playing the the robots. Uh, mm. I thought they were really good guest stars. I I loved their robot acting. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. They were really great. 
It says on Wikipedia that one of them was 1 through 250 and one was 251 through 500. So I could watch the episode more carefully and figure out like who was the best actress. <laughs> say both one for now. <laughs> I feel even yeah. Harry Mudd wouldn't pay that much attention to the difference <laughs> between the two women. Yeah, I, every time they're asked to sort of play overloaded or malfunctioning, they get a really great like vacant look in the eyes, very stiff posture. It is, like you said, great robot acting, which I think is like almost undervalued talent because... I feel like it would be hard to do convincingly, but if you do it convincingly, it's, like, very, like, effective. Yeah, Richard Tatchell's really good at doing that as the one Norman as well. He's he's yeah. very good at kind of doing that kind of blank thing, which is why he's such an impressive presence early on in the episode when he's trying to take over the Enterprise. He does manage to do that kind of blank kind of robotic thing without him just sort of standing there and doing the lines like that um and it's quite a, it's quite an achievement like all, all the robot actors in this are, are really top notch and for all that i have questions about the script um you know like the performances are absolutely uh not at fault here at all yeah that opening scene that ends with him saying please which i thought was really great mm. um uh i really liked the idea of i was they do like end up kind of wanting to uh enslave all of humanity a touch uh mm -hmm. but like early on i was like oh i like this idea of it kind of being like um they have like perfectly fine intentions and just like need help but uh just like don't understand politeness <laughs> like i thought that was a cool thing oh yeah yeah, I think in general, the sort of uncanny valley behavior of the robots works well here. I think already we've seen in Star Trek, it's sort of very of like, what's like sort of a convincingly odd robot and what is just like a very cheap sci-fi idea of a robot. And I think this honestly falls more on the convincing side than some of the other robots we've seen and computers in general. Yeah, the idea that there's, how many is it? 200,000 of them or something rattling about the yeah. place as well? Mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is curiously expansive in a way that we don't always get with Star Trek. It's, you know, normally, oh my god, Captain, there's hundreds of them. This time we're told that we're, we're up in six figures. That's, that's, quite a, that's quite a swing from the episode. I'm not sure if it really connects with all that much. I mean, we see what, maybe eight of them on screen at once, and that appears to be enough to take off an entire sh uh, starship. But uh, it's just, it's a nice little detail that they're trying to get this kind of larger worldview in with just how many of these things that there are. And even the fact that, you know, they're not from this galaxy, they're from Andromeda, apparently, um, you know, just gives that suggestion that this is a, a, a society or a technology which has managed to kind of evolve so far beyond what we kind of expect a society like that to be, whereby, I mean, but this, this, this is also where my kind of problems with the scripts very much collide with what we get on screen, um, which is like we managed to have a society which can build like an inter in intergalactic drive and jump between galaxies, um, but, but they're um, confused by somebody pre pretending to have a hand phaser and dying. Like something yeah. a four-year-old could probably see through. <laughs> I, I yeah, I have questions. Yeah, I really hated that sequence. Like they're so confused by any irrationality, and it's like, but you, you studied humanity by studying like the weirdest little pervert in the world. Like, shouldn't you be like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, they're like irrational all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, exactly. Um, and like, I understand what they're going for with their, their kind of whole uh, let's let's confuse them and, and sort of throw them off the scent. Um, but, well, as, 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 as alluded to earlier, this isn't exactly the first time that Star Trek has gone down the uh, confuser computer <laughs> yeah. and then it blows up. I mean, quite apart from Return of the Archons, there's the Apple, which we've covered as a whacking great example of, of the same thing happening. Um, and it's a shame that a, a more inventive solution couldn't have been found because it just feels even even just within Star Trek contained in its own time in 90, in the late so 1960s, it already feels like a contrived way to end the episode. Now, to be fair, they put a lot of work into their absurdist theater um, <laughs> and it goes on for minutes or years or decades or however long this episode lasts for. I don't know. I kind of lost the will to live at that point. It goes on for a long time anyway. Um, and that that's that's definitely kind of pushing it much, much further than any kind of other example of, oh, let's just confuse a computer and then it blows up because it's the 1960s and we haven't discovered basic yet. Um, so, you know, like fair fair dues that they've, they've, they've put the effort into, but it still feels pretty trite. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's where I sort of went to. Like, you're right, the logic feels like trite, but the, the effort, the elbow grease the whole gang puts into it putting on a show is like well at least this is different than just kirk arguing with it this is like a really big swing yeah there is like a charm too especially when they're like throwing the invisible bomb around i'm like they're all so happy like oh, yeah. <laughs> kirk and mud used to hate each other but they're like god i love my invisible bomb bit so much <laughs> i like i think that's why that section more or less works for me is just the energy of the cast is so infectious even if it makes no sense <laughs> like it is just fun seeing them run around the set just like doing these weird bits with each other yeah it makes me wonder whether harry mudd had like a, 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 a several crates of whiskey replicated like back in some little alcove somewhere and like <laughs> so we'll just we'll consume this we'll come up with something where i don't know they dance into the room and then I don't know, Chekhov does a thing and then Uhura slaps. Yeah, 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 that's great. Right, just pour me another one. Come on, keep it coming, keep it coming. And then it's like half an hour later, they're like, all right, well, we'll just go for it now and see what happens. Oh, it works, great. And when I think about like sort of that whole section is like, like you're right, everyone is very straight-faced in that sort of airplane mode for like a lot of this um, episode. But that is a time where they all cut loose. Um, I also, it's also interesting, like seeing what comedic performances, how Roger C. Carmel is like the one who's not playing it straight faced at any point. He is like giving a big, broad comedy performance. Um, Cause I guess he is like, I don't know. I can't remember his acting history, but it seems like he would, he is like a more comic actor in general. If I were to uh, guess, unlike the rest of the cast. So I think he's just, like he's the one playing it much less straight and much more silly for throughout the episode, and then that whole section, everyone sort of gets to his level and is like playing it broad and silly as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't love Carmel in this episode. I've got to be honest. I don't really like Harry Mud at all. Uh, um, so I was super thrilled when he turned up in Discovery. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's such a, I don't know. I know, I know it's a type. I know he's played the lovable rogue or, you know, like um, 25 years earlier, like he would have been some, you know, like 19th century, 18th century, like pirate story. The same character could have appeared with basically no sort of changes to it. 
I'm really glad you guys enjoyed it. I really wish I could uh, could join you in it, but I just I don't know. It just feels so. I don't know. It it just doesn't connect with me. Um, there are great comedy episodes of uh, Star Trek, and none of them involve Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, until you guys started saying that, like, I would never have been like, "Oh, this episode's funny." Like, I I liked the episode, but I wouldn't be like. Oh yeah, the comedy really worked for me. I just like that there's a planet of sex robots. Yeah, and, and I don't know if I necessarily find it funny too. Like, I can't remember if I laughed. I just find it like pleasing and silly and charming in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm trying to think of like another equivalent example, but like it is just like I just admire all of like the gusto people went for it with, <laughs> even though it's like very silly and ridiculous like at every step along the way especially the end um but yeah i none of the like it's it's almost worse when it's trying to make actual jokes like the ex-wife robot stuff like the um like chekhov want trying to flirt with the other robots and like oh i love that part <laughs> yeah it's it's he's... not funny but yeah it, it is like silly yeah no it's not funny but the fact that he's like and you were programmed by the despicable harry mudd and right. starts doing like the sickos yes it's like that's awesome very revealing of that character for sure he's so happy that they were programmed by a disgusting guy <laughs> my i i i, I want to enjoy this episode but i can't i can't quite manage to prize my critic's hat off um because i'm pretty sure what this episode says is that all women are brainless they need to be directed by one man even if there is two hundred thousand of them they can't do anything for themselves and have to have direction from one man and uh and you know they're all beautiful but essentially empty-headed except for the ones which are terrible shrews and just shriek at you all the time because you've had the temerity to have a uh, a drink you know it's just i find the politics of this episode just awful and I, I i i just can't get past that to appreciate the the comedy of it and i don't think that the episode has anything in it that undercuts that you know the the, the, the i don't know i just it 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 kind of makes my skin crawl a bit and i and maybe maybe that is my problem rather than the episode's problem but it's one of those times and you know, we've talked about this in the podcast before as well that you know like Star Trek is progressive as a show, but it's not universally progressive. And I think this is one of the examples where it feels incredibly kind of reactionary and we're all just supposed to laugh at it as if that makes it all right. And like for me, it, it doesn't, but it's very much a your mileage may vary kind of thing. That's so interesting. I just saw that as like reflecting poorly on mud, like that the only thing he could come up with for a robot society is like, oh, obviously... I have to make all these identical submissive women and then also like one true I can tell to shut up. Like I felt like, you know, that's why he's such a flop as a person and why Kirk hates him so much is it's like, oh, that's what you would do. Yeah, I it is an uncomfortable thing because like I agree it's more reflecting on mud, but like you said, Gigi as well, the lack of anything that undercuts it or like offers a counterpoint, except for one scene. Um, is it is just makes a little bit of a difficult sit. It's like I think as an adult, I went back to like fairly odd parents cartoons, which I loved as a kid. And if you go back to those as an adult, you see, oh, there's so many men are like this, women are like this jokes in that 
innocuous kids cartoon show that it, it is like disturbing in a way even if it's supposed to be a reflection of the characters like bad personalities like having the sort of still supporting the structure of that kind of thinking i don't know it, it is like difficult to I, it's difficult to heart to sit through even if it there is a point to it um the ones in well i mean like there's literally a part where kirk is like uh i mean have you ever thought about robot men and this guy who like lives on a planet where there are robot men around him all the time is just like no what like oh yeah like i i cognitively get it it's just like an emotionally hard to sit through if that makes sense like like even if the joke is ultimately mud's expense you're still seeing like the behavior a lot like i i get what jg has a hang up on i i would say less of a hang up on that because i enjoy the episode a little more but i definitely <laughs> I, i'm sort of seeing the argument yeah i guess this is me just like whenever i see something whether it's like her or the robot ladies and buffy or like anything i always like relate to the robots i'm like yeah men mm. do treat you like that so like that's always the perspective i bring mm. to it yeah i think what it, it just it needs it just needs one counterpoint like that that line about uh you know uh, have you ever thought about creating any men and and like harry mud walks past like two robot men at that point and, and says kind of like they have their uses and it's not like a gay thing but also the way it's read it's very easy to read it like that as well like like sometimes he just wants a bit of variety that's nice it also sounds really gay when um Spock is like, why do you need 500 of the same women? And he's like, you could never understand my appreciation for this model. <laughs> no. like, I think he just thinks Spock is Kirk's gay friend. <laughs> is, is that wrong, yep. though? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it, it just needs one person to kind of make, make some, pass some kind of comment on that. Because like, everybody sees that Mud is this like, creepy weirdo, but ultimately not only does nobody call him out, like, Chekhov's kind of into it. Like, we've, <laughs> we've already established that Chekhov is the, like, the, the dirty little perv of the junior crew, so that's fine. And, you know, that's okay. He's following in his captain's example, and that's what all good junior officers should do. You know, they should they should follow in their captain's footsteps. Um, but it, it needs, like, someone... Like, even Spock should be uncomfortable about it, but he just shrugs his shoulders and kind of goes along with the whole thing. Like, McCoy is, he, you know, he's usually, like, you know, this very kind of um, sort of gracious, charming gentleman. But no, he just seems down for a bit of perving this week as well. It just needs somebody to cut against it, but, and it's it's never there. And that's that's what I find lacking in this episode. It just needs a counterbalance somewhere. And we have seen episodes of Star Trek that have done that in the past. So it's not a question of kind of imply, sort of applying contemporary morality to something which was broadcast 60 years ago. I mean, of course, I don't expect it to be as progressive as, as we are in the 21st century. That would be a ridiculous thing. But we've seen Star Trek be considerably more progressive towards women than this, even within this episode. Like, Nichelle Nichols has a big role in this episode. She doesn't have a lot yes. of lines, but she's on screen for a long period of time. Like, there's a perfect character to push back against this kind of thing, but she never gets the uh, the opportunity to do it. Instead, and she kind of ends up having to play into it because she gets the whole thing about, ooh, I could I could live forever and, and be beautiful forever. Which, to be fair, they do eventually play against uh, type when, when she, you know, 
in inverted commas betrays them um but nevertheless like that's her characterization in this episode like she's visibly tempted by that as a prospect as opposed to being the one to push back and say but you can you guys can see this right i, I don't know it just it, it just doesn't work for me i do like that the one scene of a proactive woman where Buhura gets to do like the little like betrayal um, I, I think Nichelle Nichols plays that really wonderfully. I just wanted to say. Oh, she does. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole time I was like, uh, I know this is going to be a reveal, but it would be so cool. She was just like, you guys, I want to live forever. Oh, yeah. See, I, I feel if there was any member of the crew that was going to be seduced by that, I reckon it's Chekhov. Yeah. I, 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 Chekhov is just a weak-willed um, thing that rhymes with witch. And um, he's just, uh, just he's got no self-control. He has no idea what he's doing. Like, if anybody was going to be seduced with being, like, young and immortal, I, I don't think it was Ahura. I think, especially as the character goes on, she really comes to kind of embrace being this kind of older, mature, but still incredibly sexy woman. Whereas Chekhov, not so much. Yeah, I, I just want, maybe that's just, like, the outside of our main three, the other crew has not been characterized as well yet, so they don't really know what sort of beats to play with them. I mean, I guess they've got Chekhov locked down by this episode, <laughs> but uh, it is just like Scotty um, loves seeing like some technical stuff, and then I don't even know if um, Sulu even gets like a little temptation scene. So, yeah, it's... But, like, there's still sort of growing and developing with what little screen time they get, those sort of like below the line crew members who are the regulars. Yeah, Sulu doesn't get to go down, does he? He's he's just out in the Enterprise. So he's yeah. he's he's spared the ju well, I mean spared the dubious attraction. Maybe maybe Norman would be more his thing. It, it wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be for me to say. But um yeah, I don't know. It's just all uh, it just I can't I can't find a way into it that makes any of it sit comfortably and that's not what i want from star trek mm. i just kind of want to bring it round slightly as well back to the the kind of whole uh absurdist theater thing uh like we've, we've touched on it a couple of times but the the whole drive of it and the sheer amount of screen time that's given over to it suggests that there is a lot kind of going on here that you know the episode really wants us to invest in so for an, we we have that initial thing in the in the throne room where uh scotty and mccoy come in uh then Chekhov and ahura they do the little dance ha 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 uh, and then we go on to like the main room in order to try and confuse uh norman uh who seems to have had a crafty cigarette in the go of the back of his head is anything to go by and he just has this whole air of bewilderment as he stands around and watches the regular cast yes playing with the bomb and and doing the whole oh my god scotty he's dead kind of routine and all that kind of stuff like like the episode it's such a weird fit for this episode like i think it is all that stuff is really well written I think it genuinely is well written and it's certainly well performed by the crew who are giving uh, 110% to commit to what is essentially just a bit, but it feels like a weird episode to do it. And I think one of the reasons that I think this episode is um, sort of very much less than the sum of its parts is because it, it has this weird sort of 
broken back structure to it where like i, I mentioned it before like the first 10 minutes of it are kind of like really tense and whatever as the enterprise has taken over and then we kind of get like half an hour of extremely limp comedy and and terrible sexual politics and then we get this kind of chunk of absurdist theater at the far end of it which kind of resolves the plot none of those things go together but particularly like that focus on the uh, the sort of absurdist theater part or the surrealist part of it it feels like there are episodes, some of which are upcoming, so I won't talk too much about that. Um, but there, there, it feels like there are episodes which are more kind of dramatic where that kind of side of it um, will fit in. But if, is it just me or does it feel a little bit kind of orphaned in this episode? It doesn't fit the same style of comedy as the rest of it. But I think it still fits the broad edict of the comedy episode. I mean, even if it's like, you're not jokes, it's not like things I am laughing at a punchline. I don't know. There is just sort of a very light air to everything going on. Like, I think we sort of talked about how like the first half you're mentioning where it's more, or rather the second third, where it's more um, the logistics of the planet and the people on it. That's sort of the less interesting stuff to me. But it is like trying to be like light and funny and weird and silly. And this is just like a different way of achieving those adjectives with more emphasis on the weird and silliness of it. But definitely still like no one's playing it like they're in any danger or it's like a fraught situation at any point in this episode, except for maybe the cold open. So yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know. It, I think the theater bit it's like a very it is like a swerve but i think it still fits tonally with the rest yeah i think to me especially because the other episode i watched resolved the exact same way i was just sort of like yep they're wrapping it up this is just like what we got to do to end the story (laughs) now it's time for the we trick a computer part which is in my experience always the worst part of star trek episodes (laughs) oh well i'm certainly not going to argue with you there Yeah, it just, I don't know, it just feels, again, it feels so weirdly misplaced. And I, I, like I said, I, it's not even that it's it's bad, because it, I don't think that it is. It's And everybody is really committed. It's just sort of there. Um, Stephen Candle uh, has one of those um, sort of writing careers that just seems to embrace absolutely everything so all kind of like the familiar 60s genre shows like 77 sunset strip uh wild wild west star trek obviously batman i spy uh manix like there's a whole bunch of just like bog standard kind of like you know here comes the tv show and he's had a very successful career um you know he was writing uh, up until the end of uh, end of the nineties, uh, he only passed away um, a few months ago. He passed away towards the end of twenty twenty three. So you know, like he clearly is a good writer. He can clearly you know work, and he's built a whole you know a whole lifetime of of uh, a career putting these kind of things together. But it just feels it just feels strange. I can't get past it. <laughs> It's worth pointing out that the other writer is like it sounds like David Gerald's contributions were like very big. Um, mm. Oh yeah, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I wonder if it's that mishmash that's causing the issues almost. Like, I mean, we know that at least per what's recorded on Wikipedia and Memory Alpha, that 
David Gerald got them to the planet faster and added more material with the female robots. Which, um, so I, we can't say, say what specific ideas and things were Kendall, which were Gerald, but I wonder if the combination of two different kinds of writers might be causing some of the conflict here. It would certainly go some way to explaining kind of the, the, the tonal clashes which which occur for sure. Um, as as is always the case, um, you know, particularly with uh, this season of Star Trek, you know, time was short, um, so there was only a very limited amount uh, of of time to 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 pull everything together. Um, but yeah, certainly those kind of tonal mismatches um, feel very much of a apart from an episode which has been you know written and then very very extensively rewritten by somebody else. It's crazy when uh, they say that Mud is sick and she's immediately like, oh, he's human, you'll have to take care of him. I was like, you're dedicating your lives to taking care of humans, but you're like, yeah, if you if you get sick, you're on your own. I don't know, man. Yeah, their their ability to take care of humans only extends up until like if you get if you get the sniffles, then yeah, you can just yeah, die. They're they're very like oh we want to serve your every need and then it's immediately like it's mostly like beverage based and like like possibly (laughs) sex those are like the two things (laughs) i think that is sort of emblematic of like a lot of the issues of the episode um beyond the, the weird views of women um is just the inconsistencies which we noted before but like yeah they come from andromeda but they're and they have a studied humans, but they're fooled by the weird abstract play stuff. They serve humans, but they don't know how to medically treat one. But they were boasting about the medical... Especially because their research... Yeah. <laughs> like, their research is supposed to be so interesting. And right. it's like, they have this, like, really advanced research, but they don't know what to do with you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, and McCoy was even admiring the medical equipment. And that nothing really came of that. Yeah, same with Scotty. Like, oh my god, you know the the technology here is amazing. Yeah, we're we're not gonna look at any of that stuff. We're not gonna learn from it. No, no, we'll just we'll just we'll just leave the the sex robots and the shrew wife and and just get off to next week. Yeah, I thought it would have been interesting if they had brought in an element of like, is there like a moral obligation to stay and like get this advanced research um, before you leave? Yeah. But in a way, that kind of sums up the episode uh, as it is. You know, it, it it wants to be able to engage for certain things, but it, it it's heart justice, isn't it? It's 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 just not quite there. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, I think probably we're we're um, moving towards um, wrap up. <laughs> it's, uh, we're, with all the elegance of the episode that we're discussing, I think <laughs> it's fair to uh, fair, fair to say. So. Um, it's probably time to give this a score and, and put the whole thing to bed. So, um, Kev, would you like to go first? What would you like to give this one? I am going to go same as Cat's Paw and Humor's for Adonis. I think it's in the same zone of those. It's like a seven where it's like, it's far from perfect. There's so many flaws, but at least it's like trying something big and it's like well executed for what it's trying to do. You know, what it's trying to do is very like muddled, weird and strange in like both complimentary and negative ways. Okay. Um, I am going to be less generous. You will be surprised to discover. And I think I'm going to give it four. And I still feel like I'm being quite kind to it. I don't know. Just, just, just not my bag, daddy. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> just doesn't hang together for me at all. Uh, Lenny, what would you like to give it? 
Uh, I'll give it a 7.5. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, I, there's like some stuff with the execution that isn't good, especially like the resolution. Uh, but I think the concept is very insane and erotic and they, I think, do a good job with that, especially for like the 60s where there are certain moments where I was like, wow, interesting. Uh, and, um, yeah, if you, if you have an episode that's about a bunch of sex robots who are like, oh, actually, we also want humans to be our pets, I'm automatically on board. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can only quote the great wisdom of Futurama. Don't date robots. <laughs> and, and with that, I think we could probably draw our conversation on iMud to close and move on to recommendations. Um, Kev, would you like to go first this week? Uh, what would you like to recommend? Yes. Uh, recently, I saw the one-day theatrical run of a great movie that will be on Hulu on January 12th. Um, we're not sure yet whether this episode will post before or after that, but the movie is called Self-Reliance. It is written and directed by Jake Johnson, who also stars. Um, Jake Johnson of New Girl, of Minx, of other appearances elsewhere. Uh, yeah, he's like the Across the Spider-Verse, um, older Peter Parker, right? So he, yeah, he's you probably are aware of at least his voice and he is such like a gifted comedic performer. Uh, the movie has a really insane premise. I really almost recommend you pause the podcast, watch a trailer, but I'll sum it up for people too lazy to do that. Um, he signs up for a dark web um, reality TV show where he agrees assassins will try to hunt him and he has to survive with the one rule being in that sort of very like, I guess this is a game I played on college campus. I don't know how widespread it is, but like that very like friend group assassins game rule where it's like, if someone else is within arm's reach of you, you can't be gotten. So the movie is him trying to find different people in different ways to stay around people at all times. And there's a little bit of a clumsy metaphor, which the movie takes pains to spell out that this is because he needs to learn to live on, lean on other people and not be afraid of rejection and, uh, being distanced from people and he needs to shake up his life. It's it's a bit of a clumsy script, but I think the comedic ideas in it are very strong. There's so many good jokes in it. I think as a director, Johnson is, if not not mind blowing, but definitely like does a solid job as well. I feel like a lot of you can have an actor director who can really botch it in other cases, but I think this is one where he like clearly like did his homework and like knew how to create tense and funny scenes through his sort of directing style. And I'll, and, but obviously the best part is him as a performer, which he is always so great at playing frustrated and flustered and annoyed and pissed off. And like this movie gets all of those reactions out of him, just 90 straight minutes of him doing like, ah, ah, uh, and running around and being annoyed at everything. And it's so good at that. Um, and he's just wonderful at that. So for nothing else, uh, if you, are aware of Jake Johnson's work and like want to support him, not just as an artist, but also just like enjoying seeing him do his thing for 90 minutes. I recommend self-reliance on Hulu. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Lenny, what would you like to recommend? Uh, I'll recommend one of the more overlooked sci-fi shows from 2023 uh, bodies on Netflix. Uh, it's about uh if four different timelines where the same dead body appears. Uh, and so there's four different 
detectives trying to figure out what happened in each timeline and eventually figuring out how they can work together across time. Uh, It's like pretty goofy in a lot of ways, but pretty interesting. And the best part is uh, the guy who played Cyril Karn is in it and has a really great storyline as a gay guy in Victorian times. That's very emotional, also very sexy. uh, So I highly recommend it for that. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you very much. That is really interesting. I just started playing a visual novel um, from my favorite writers. It's the second AI Somnium Files game. That also has the same premise of a body in only two timelines. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I mean, it is, it's intriguing there and it's intriguing. It sounds like here too, with the body. So, um, but yeah, I love the idea of like splitting across lots of different timelines I just yeah. point it up. I, I love the idea of doing like a future and two past, like the classic spread of like two past, the present, and a future thing. That's, yeah, this all sounds really great. Excellent. Good stuff. Um, I am going to recommend Slow Horses, which is on Apple TV and stars Gary Oldman as an unbelievable, slobbish uh, detective for uh, dealing with a bunch of um, sort of sad. Uh, MI5 rejects who are uh, basically just kept in the service for the sake of it. It's in its third season now. The third season has just ended. Um, It remains as brilliant as ever. It's a phenomenally watchable show. Uh, It might, I mean, Gary Oldman has done so many great performances, so it's hard to say, oh, like, wow, this might be my favorite. But honestly, it also just might be my favorite. He really, really inhabits the character. He's phenomenal in it. Uh, Kirsten Scott Thomas is just brilliant in it. The whole sporting cast are are excellent. It's a spy thriller, so it does help if that's kind of your genre. But even if it's not, it's just an incredibly compulsive show it's very easy to watch most of the seasons are only six episodes long so it's not a massive time sink it's just one of those shows that you can turn on binge in an evening if if the fancy takes you and you have a spare bottle of wine in the fridge which i always do and you know you can just get stuck into it it's it's just great fun we mentioned Apple TV uh, a few times in the podcast before um, and how they just seem to have this weird slate of programs which don't necessarily always get that much attention. Obviously, Ted Lasso aside, um, but which they just keep churning out like really great content. And this is another example of it. It's just a very, very watchable show. And yeah, so that's uh, Slow Horses on Apple TV. Yeah, I've still been meaning to check it out and maybe this is the year I finally do. But yeah, I, I agree. Like Apple, like, I've seen some less good shows on Apple, but at every Apple show I've seen is at least taking big swings in a way that is like very compelling. Like every all every show I've seen on there at least seems like a very interesting pitch and not doing something that I've really seen before. Whereas like a lot of other networks are trying to play it safe, especially now. So yeah, I credit to them for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like um, um, Monarch uh, Legacy of Monsters, which is on Apple TV, yeah. is not a great show, but it's also really great to just see uh, Kurt Russell chewing his way through the scenery. So like, I could never recommend that show with a clear conscience, but there are still interesting aspects oh, yeah. about it, even if the, the overall show is not particularly fantastic. I've also been watching that, and it is like, yeah, it's there's a lot of problems with it, but Kurt Russell and Godzilla, two of cinema's biggest stars in a TV show together is like, <laughs> yeah. it's a draw. It's a legitimate draw. 
it really is. Talk about two great tastes that go great together. Right. Yeah. Um, we can probably draw a line under everything there for this episode and uh, move on to plugs. Lenny, is there anything you would like to plug? Yes, I have two podcasts, uh, Chapter Surfing, where each month uh, me and a guest talk about a TV show and the book that it's based on. And uh, House of House, which is an episode by episode house rewatch podcast. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us again on Talking Thank uh, you so much for having me. It's been lovely. It's been an absolute delight. Um, and Kev, would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Of course. Yeah, we are on Twitter and Blue Sky. Talk Trek to you on Twitter. Talking Trek to you on Blue Sky. Find me on Blue Sky at Max Rebo's Roadie. There you can have links to sort of my stuff. I have, besides this podcast, I'll do the podcast Total Massacre. I have also launched a blog. We'll see how consistently I can keep it updated. But the it's called ladybirdminute.medium.com. And I am writing a mini 500 to 1,000 word essay on every minute of the movie Ladybird. I have done six so far. And I, no promises that there's a seventh by the time this episode goes up. But yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. I don't know how many people will actually read it. Almost hope no people read it because... I don't want that much exposure, but I need to get all these thoughts. I keep having those movies for the last six years out of my head. Coming up on seven. So, yeah, I've, for those who might not know, Lady Bird is my favorite movie ever since I've seen it in theaters. And, yeah, that is, you can see a link to that on my Blue Sky page. And I guess Twitter page also, Max Reavers Roadie, that I don't update that anymore as well. Uh, yes, uh, JG can be found at jgmccory.scott. Uh, your other podcast is Beatles Stuffology, of course. And you can also like, rate, and review our podcast. Um, please do to help other people find it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You can tell we're not as slick as usual because we've taken a month off over the Christmas yeah. period. That's that's all it's taken for everything to just fall apart. So uh, I promise we'll attempt to be more professional next time. Um, and speaking of next time, uh, we will be moving on to Metamorphosis. So... Um, yeah, something a little bit different next time. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. Mm -hmm.